Called, baby, called. What does it mean to live called? I want to read a verse that's familiar to a lot of you, but I think maybe for some of you, maybe the first time to hear it. I want to read it to you because I think this sets the tone. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not by our own efforts, but by His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So here we have something that I think we need to consider is we are saved and called. One thing to be saved, I think anybody can literally, anybody can call upon the name of Jesus. I don't know how many people on their last moment, their last breath have called upon the name of Jesus. But I honestly believe anybody can call upon the name of Jesus and you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. And I want you to know that it is about helping people to get right with Jesus. But we've got to go beyond saved to called. And I believe when you live called, you live very differently. You know, if I asked you, what do you get paid to do? What do you get paid to do? We were setting up this venue last night and there was a a young man who oversees it and he was surprised at so many young people setting up and working and giving their very best to make this place a little bit of a more attractive than what it was before. And, And he was amazed. And I said, every one of them are volunteers. They're not paid to do this. There's a sense of calling on their lives. We're called to make Jesus bigger. We're called to create an atmosphere where the others can come home. And calling is so much stronger than... And so what I want you to understand, that God doesn't just save us from ourselves. He doesn't just save us from our sins and our trespasses and our guilt and our shame and the things we want no one to know about. He literally saves us into a much bigger purpose, which is a calling. And so let me give you a perspective here of what I believe calling looks like on a person. It's a person that basically starts to decide they have non-negotiables. In other words, they move into a position in life where things become non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. And what does non-negotiable mean? It means not open to discussion or modification. So the question I want to ask us today as a community, as believers, those who are wanting to grow, those who are wanting to move forward, maybe those who are curious and wanting to know what this is all about. I want to ask you the question today, what is your non-negotiables? What's your non-negotiables? Not what your negotiation. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's uh, written by a guy who used to be a, a negotiator for the FBI. It's a fascinating book and it's talking about all the tension, all the hostilities moments that this person's been in. And he's giving a principle of what he did as a negotiator in the FBI to basically deal with hostile situations. And and it's just insightful. But I want you to know there are some things in our lives that we've got to decide that's non-negotiable. And I want to talk about it because I believe if we're going to move forward, if we're going to live called, we're going to have to actually establish in our lives non-negotiable. Non-negotiable, non-negotiable. Is your pay at work negotiable? Amen. You don't want your pay to be non-negotiable. You want it to be negotiable, amen. I remember when my mom was on her last days or last months and she was in a hospital and I used to call my mom and, and, and I'd call her and, and my mom's Irish woman, so she was a, lot, she was a talker. I'd just call her, hi, mom. And, oh, hi, <laughs> And I love your mom. And that was it. I didn't say much, but mom said a lot. But now and again, my mom wouldn't say much. And straight away, I knew 
there was a TV program on called Crossroads. Now, most of you wouldn't have a clue what that is. It's a British program. Or I think it was Emmerdale Farm. It was one of those programs. She loved it. And if it was on and I called her when it was on, she wouldn't talk. She'd be like, yeah, yeah. And then I'd just stop and I'd go, Mom, is, is, is Emmerdale Farm on? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'll call you back in two hours. <laughs> in other words, it was basically Mom's way of saying, non-negotiable. You're my son, non-negotiable. <laughs> I love you, but call me after Emmerdale Farm. And maybe there's things in your life that you understand that are, fu- that are humorous. But I want you to understand when God calls us, I think we need to understand what does a called person look like in life? I believe it's because they start to establish in their lives non-negotiables. And I want to give you maybe two examples, one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament, and maybe try and give you some personal examples. But in the New Testament, Jesus, he gets water baptized. And immediately after his water baptism, he goes into this thing called the wilderness. And he's about to face testing. He's about to face temptation. And let me just explain here. God will never tempt you, but God does allow testing. I believe we are all going to be tested. Are we tested in faithfulness? Are we tested in small things? Are we tested with offense? When offense comes, are you going to take it or are you going to reject it? When the slap comes, are you going to choose humiliation or are you going to choose I'm not going to retaliate? You see, Testing is a part of how God shapes character, how he grows us and how he shows his faithfulness. But temptation is what we want. Testing is what God wants. Temptation is what we want. And so Jesus goes into a zone of temptation and testing. And he goes into the wilderness. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 4. And it says that he spent 40 days fasting. And I love what the Bible says. Then he was extremely hungry. (laughs) Thank you for the details. You would be slightly hungry after 40 days of fasting, but that's what it says, just to make sure you're not confused. And then it says the tempter came to entice him and to prove food by doing a miracle and to provide food by doing a miracle. So he said to Jesus, the tempter, Can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? How can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? Just order these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. See, here again, here's a classic example of God. Public ministry. About to do three years of public ministry in the world that you and I can see and measure against. And what happens to his first temptation, you could call it? The question of identity. How can you possibly the son of God and go hungry? In other words, we see consistency at the beginning of the Bible. Did God really say? It's the same narrative. You and I will always face the same narrative as Jesus in this context. When you're starting to live saved and move from saved to called, you're always going to be challenged with, did God say? Or if you're really a child of God, why do you think like that? Why do you do like that? Why do you behave like that? So straight away, one of the first challenges here is this thing called identity. If you're the son of God, How can you go hungry? Just order these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, bread alone will not satisfy, 
but true life is found in every word and constantly goes forth from God's mouth. In other words, you need more than bread to survive. You need every word of God for nourishment and for your being satisfied. And so here straight away, there's a, a test going on. In other words, God is allowing something to happen, but there's a temptation going on. See, when you're hungry and someone says, turn these breads, these stones into bread, the truth is, I guess God could have done it. But what was the point here? He was letting us know, people in the future, followers of Jesus, that we are going to go through temptation here when you're hungry or when you're weak and when you're vulnerable. And God's saying, basically, with all the help of heaven, you can come through these things. Temptation is what we want. And so what I love about this is how Jesus replies. Hey, I am hungry. You're right. I am God. I don't have to defend myself. But he quotes the Bible back to him. He quotes the verse from Deuteronomy. In other words, this is a non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. So what I'm trying to say is when people start to live a life, a calling. In other words, I'm called. I'm not just saved, but I'm called. You start to see things called non-negotiables. And here is a classic example of a non-negotiable. In other words, what are you and I going to have in our lives when it comes to temptation? Are we going to have some non-negotiables? And I think it's so important to consider this if we want to keep moving forward, if we want to keep being God's, what God's called us to be. So the accuser basically gave up and tried another angle, transported Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem, perched him at the highest point and said to him, if you're, if you're really God's son, jump and the angels will catch you. It is written, Jesus said again. He will, uh, no, sorry, Jesus doesn't quote the Bible. Now the accuser, the enemy quotes the Bible. It is written that the angels will protect you and will lift you up. And so that you won't have to bruise your feet on a rock. Jesus again says, you must never put the Lord your God to a test. And the third time the accuser comes and says, and puts Jesus on a very high mountain range, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all the splendor that goes with it. And he says this, all these kingdoms are mine. I give them to you. The accuser says, only if you kneel down before me and worship me. And again, Jesus said, go away. You're the enemy to what God wants. For the scripture says, kneel before the Lord your God and worship him only. See here, we get Jesus himself letting you and I know, non-negotiable, non-negotiable, non-negotiable. And I just want you to understand, we need to be people who are not just saved, from our sins and trespasses and from all of that, we need to start living our lives called, called with purpose, called for kingdom purpose. And how do you know you're living a calling? How do you know that you've got a conviction in your heart that says, I'm called? Is it because I'm starting to build non-negotiables into my life? No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to say that. No, I'm not going to behave that way. In other words, if you don't decide what your non-negotiables are, everyone else is going to negotiate you. And I think it's healthy if you want to grow and go from strength to strength. You've got to establish what your non-negotiable is. Let me give you an Old Testament example. It's found in Daniel chapter 3. And there was a statue built, a golden statue, 90 feet high. And it was in the day of the Babylonian Empire. And the king ruling at that time was Nebuchadnezzar. And he made a statue 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and it was set up in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. And he sent messages to the princes, to the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, and all the rulers and all the people of the empire in that day. And it comes to a, basically to come to a dedication of the statue. And the command was this, when this statue is put up 
And when the music plays, in other words, they created a sound. It's amazing how every enemy has a sound that's a counterfeit to the sound that God has for His people. There was a sound and the sound was when you hear this sound, when you hear this noise, when you hear this music, you're to bow down and to basically worship this 90-foot statue. And so this is obviously many, many years ago. It's an ancient culture. But it's a very pluralistic culture. Like the Roman Empire, many gods. We live in the 21st century. There is no doubt today that we have basically a perspective that there's many gods, many idols. We worship, not like in India or some other countries where it's more obvious, but what do we worship today? We make good things and we turn them into ultimate things. We can turn relationships into idols. We can turn our family into an idol. We can turn our job into an idol. You can take good things and turn them into ultimate things. How do you know you take a good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing? It's because when it's removed, you feel like taking your life. That's a serious place to be. And yet so often people can give their lives to their jobs and their careers And when that career changes or if that career fails or if that banking system collapses or if the economy collapses, it's amazing how people who have made it an ultimate thing decide to want to take their lives. And I want you to know this is not just an old Bible story boring a whole lot of people. This is where God brings wisdom into the 21st century because the narrative is the same. And so what happens is there's three boys that are highlighted here, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego. They were Babylonian names, but they were from Israel. They were living in exile. The Babylonian kingdom had basically conquered, defeated Jerusalem, defeated the Israelites, basically taken the best, the cream of the crop, taken their best young men and put them to work in the administration offices into the kingdom of the Babylonian empire. And what happens is there was a rumor that got around that these three boys were not bowing when the sound was being played. They weren't bowing to the statue. They weren't bowing to all the other gods. And so there was a complaint given to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, these three boys, these Jewish people, we're hearing a little bit about some of that still today, but this is going on. And he said, basically, they're not doing it. And so the king gets so fired up. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar is mad as a hatter. He's mad as anything. And he says, bring these young men to me. And basically, they stand before him. And again, anybody could be intimidated by this. And he basically says, is it true? Is it true? I'll give you one more chance. I'll give you one more chance. And this is what they say. Let me read their reply. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried about what will happen to us. If we are thrown into the flaming furnace, our God is able to deliver us. Our God is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. See, still respectful. I'm not quite sure if I'd have said, oh, majesty. But they said, oh, majesty, because they were a part of the administration. They were working within the system. They weren't rebellious, but they knew who they were. They had some non-negotiables going on in their lives. And this is what I love. It says, our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, but if he doesn't, please understand, sir. I mean, look at him. So respectful, sir, that even then we will never under any circumstances serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have erected. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was not happy to hear that. He fired up so fiery and so furious that he commanded the furnace, which was the punishment for not bowing to the statue. 
He fired it up seven times hotter than usual and commanded his best elite soldiers to throw in the three boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, which is so stupid. But when you get mad, you never make great decisions. Anyone know what I'm talking about? When you get mad, you never make great decisions. Mothers, when you get mad, you never make great decisions. Dads, when you get mad, you never make good decisions. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he needed to be reminded, but he wasn't listening. He got so mad that he even lost his elite soldiers because the fire was so hot and so intense as they were. Now, they bound him up in ropes so tight that they couldn't move. And sometimes I think you and I will get into situations where we feel like we're so bound up that we can't move. And in that moment, you've got to remind yourself, you know, it's not how strong you are. It's how strong God is. Maybe there's something at work working against you. Maybe there's a policy coming against you. Maybe there's people working against you. Maybe there's some thoughts or uh, systems or belief systems coming against you that stops you being who you're called to be. I'm a believer, but I want to help my school and I want to help the children. But the philosophy of the school won't let you do what you want to do. Even if there is bullying, even if there is problems. See, what I'm trying to say, it's not just an ancient story. It has modern context today. And so they were bound up. They couldn't move and they were thrown into the fire, even to the point where the elite soldiers were literally killed. I mean, talk about a king sacrificing his best men. That's what stupidity does every time. Stupidity doesn't make sense. Stupidity will literally bring a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of hurt to a whole lot of innocent people. And so what happens is they get thrown into the furnace. And let me keep reading for you. The king jumps up, Mebuchadnezzar jumps up and he says, in amazement to his advisors, didn't we throw three men into the furnace? Yes, they said. We did indeed, your majesty. Well, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire and they haven't even been hurt by the flames. And the fourth man looks like a God. And then Nebuchadnezzar came and he closed and he came closer to the fire and he could see uh, to the open door of the flaming first and he yelled, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they stepped out of the fire and the princes and the governors and the captains and the counselors and the crowd around them saw that the fire had not touched them. A hair on their head had not been singed. The coats were not scorched and there was not even a smell of smoke upon them. I don't know what your challenges are. I don't know what furnace you're fighting. I don't know what furnace you've been put in. I don't know what pressure you're under, but this is where God helps His people to remind, not a smell of smoke will be upon you. Not a hair will be singed because this is where faith comes from. Well, I don't believe. Well, don't believe, but I do. On a whole lot of rubbish. Who said it's a whole lot of rubbish? You live your way, I'm going to live my way. I want to believe where the smoke is not going to be on me. I'm going to believe that the, the fires of testing and temptations are not going to singe me. Listen, I you've got to understand, you may face fires. Maybe you've got a health challenge. That could be like a fiery furnace. My friend I was with this week, Chris Mickelson, facing leukemia, spent Monday with him talking to him about how we're going to come through this and how we're going to see better days in Jesus' name, amen. You do everything naturally speaking, but you also bring a spirit of faith. And so what I want you to understand in an Old Testament and a New Testament picture here is you see a great example of non-negotiables. These boys 
They had non-negotiables. Listen, King, we respect you. We're working in your administration. We're working in this policy. We're working this environment. But I'm telling you, what is external is not going to dominate me internal. I'm not going to be disrespectful. I'm not going to be, un I'm, not, I'm, I'm absolutely respectful. But I'll tell you now, I am not bowing down to that statue. Your gods, they're your gods. They're not my gods. And I love that they were threatened. I love that they were challenged. They were, and turned into a very challenging situation. And what I'm trying to say to you today is if you want your life to have no challenges, then just stay saved. It's not really going to happen. You've got to move from saved to called. But when you start living a calling, don't be, don't be, don't be surprised that the fiery furnaces start to come your way. And this is a metaphor now, though this was a real situation, I honestly believe that when you start to live life called, don't be surprised that some fiery furnaces will come your way. And you've got to decide, even if I'm in the fiery furnace, God is with me. God is with me. He will protect me. He will cover me. Not a singe on my hair and not a smell of smoke on my clothes. In other words, you can come through difficult situations and on the other side and people can go, huh? You know how you come through fiery furnaces with no smell of smoke on you? Non-negotiables. Don't compromise. I'm serving Jesus. Non-negotiable. I'm going to the house of God. Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. I'm putting God first. Non-negotiable. See, this situation wasn't tense for these boys because they had a God. It was tense because they basically declared I only have one God. See, if you add your God to all the other gods, in other words, be like everyone else. Don't stand out, just blend in. No fiery furnace is coming your way. It's when you take a stand, when you start to build this calling, this life that God has called you to be, non-negotiable, non-negotiable. You're going to church again, non-negotiable. You know, what I'm trying to say is, and talking about the babies, you know, when babies come, you find that you are no longer a primary. Anyone know this? When a baby comes, you're no longer primary. You become secondary. Now the baby becomes primary. Oh, what about my needs? You know, poor husbands, you know, like, well, what about loving me? No, my baby comes first. You don't know how selfish you are until you get married, but you really don't know how selfish you are until you have children. We've got to be a people that make conscious decisions to have non-negotiables in your life. Non-negotiables. Ah, oh, no one will know. Non-negotiable. No one will know. Non-negotiable. And this is what I'm trying to help us with today is no one can do that for you. Only you can do that. And I trust today, whoever's listening, whoever's leaning into all that God wants for your life, that you will move from just being saved to living called. But how do I know I'm living called? Because you're starting to get serious about non-negotiables. You can't talk to me and Joyce about church in the sense of, do you have to go every week? No, we don't have to go every week. We want to go every week. Do you have to give finances? No, we don't have to give finances. We want to give finances. Do you have to no, we don't have to. We want to. We want to. We want to. We're living called. We're called. We're called. We're called. You see it in the sports world. You see it in many aspects of life that we respect and admire. 
But my question today is, could we see it in the church again? Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Could we be a people that once again have got non-negotiables? I'm not talking about legalism towards other people. Jesus was not legalistic. He was embracing and loving. He always disarmed people and reaffirmed people and welcomed people. It was only the religious people. And I believe a lot of the religious people meant well, but they were just lost in their religion. But Jesus always gave a way back to those who were messy, complicated, and, and, and all sorts of things going on. And I want you to know that if we start living our lives called, then you've got to establish in your life. I'm not going to tell you what your non-negotiables are. It's not my job to do that. But what I want you to know is, do you have any? If you've got none written down, write them down. If you've never thought about it, would you please think about it? Because it will change your life. It will change the atmosphere. Non-negotiable, non-negotiable. When the fire comes, non-negotiable. In other words, you're not scared of the fire. You're not scared of accusation. You're not scared of some tough days. Listen to me, I wish with all my heart, there would never be a day of challenge for any of you. I wish none of you would have health challenges. I wish that no one would have difficulties. Oh, I just found an apartment. It was easy. Oh, I just met this incredible girl. It was easy. Oh, I met this amazing man of God. It was easy. Oh, I just got this dream job. It was easy. Sometimes we think that's the way life should be, but we know it's not true. I went for a job and I was like, oh my goodness, there's a thousand people applied for it. Why would they pick me? Because I got some non-negotiables. Well, if you work for this company, you're willing, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to do this? You know what? You'll start to find out, you know what? I want this job, but I'm not willing to compromise. I'm not willing to secretly do that. I'm not weakly. And, and so, well, we don't want you. We're gonna take the people who wanted to compromise. At the end of the day, when you're called, You've got to build some convictions into your life. And so Joyce and I have lived our way. When our kids were born, it didn't stop us going to church. Four days old, Isaac was, in the house of God. And this is not said to bring condemnation or anything unto people. No, I'm just saying, whatever it is that you've got in your heart before the kid comes is usually what's in your heart after the kid comes. So if you've got... If you've got some non-negotiables before the children come, I guarantee you'll have the same non-negotiables after the kid. Kids come, well, ah, well, you know, the babies, he's pooing and he's farting and he's burping and he's crying. And that's what babies do. This end and that end and it all ends. That's what babies do. That doesn't stop you going to the house of God. I don't know why I'm using this example. There's probably better examples. But what I want you to understand, what's your conviction? Watch the call of God on your life, amen? Live called, not just saved. Live with kingdom purpose, non-negotiable.